So yeah, today we are continuing our message series through the book of Mark, talking about the way of Jesus, how we follow Jesus practically in our everyday life. And specifically, we've been giving some practices to invite you into to implement. So as we, when we talk about following Jesus, the question often becomes, how do we do that? And so we've been giving practices like silence, solitude, prayer. Um, uh, we'll be talking about celebration and worship in, in future weeks, things like that. Today, we're going to talk about service, service as a practice that we embrace and we implement as we follow Jesus in our everyday life. Now, before we do that, there obviously have been uh, some, the opposite of service is power, using power in a coercive manner to get your way. And, and unfortunately, that's what makes news in our world today. And that's what's made news throughout history. Uh, for example, Charlemagne, or Charles the Great, as he was known, was the king of the Franks in the 8th century. And he was the first really like Holy Roman Empire. He brought together Europe. He's called the father of Europe. And he, he extended protection for Christians in, in Europe. So that was, it's obviously like a, a good thing that he did um, to, to make it easy to follow Jesus. Not easy, but he made it safe to follow Jesus. Now, the dark side of that is that though he was a, a professed Christian, when he conquered an enemy, so the, the Saxons who were, were pagans in, in their worship, they didn't really worship one God, uh, he gave them a choice to either be baptized into the church or die. Now that's, that's obviously coer- uh, uh, conversion through coercion is, is quite a perversion of Christianity and a perversion of power. If, if God has raised a king up who, who professes Jesus but uses that power to coerce enemies into believing, is it really authentic belief and is it an authentic choice? So today, we, uh, we, don't, we don't have Holy Roman Empire uh, emperors that, that uh, extend the church through power and coercion, but um, it's wielded still regularly in our world, power and coercion. One of the sore spots that if we look at our own country, one of the sore spots is the acclimation of power in, in business leaders. And we don't often like to talk about this because we have a value that, 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 we, um, that, that, that we hold up in America for free market capitalism. Uh, we, we think in a lot of ways that, that, is our, that, that that's the highest good, and, and though is it really? So when we look at what happened during the pandemic and all the billionaires that you would be on first name, now I'm not on first name basis, but you would recognize their, their first name. Uh, these billionaires in our country got richer while their hourly wage workers struggled to make ends meet and oftentimes took on multiple jobs or went without jobs uh, for, a, for a season. Now, I think there's a conversation to be had about the acclimation of wealth and power in America I'm not saying I have the solutions, and I think they're, I don't necessarily want to advocate for people not being able to make money and not being able to provide for their families. And I'm certainly not advocating for the government to come in and, in a socialistic way and, and, and equal everything, equal the playing field in every sort of manner. But I think there is a conversation for Jesus' followers to have. Is it okay for people to, uh, to, to hoard wealth and, and power and influence and coerce even people in their own in their own companies uh, so that they benefit from that. I think there's a conversation that as Jesus followers, we have to be willing to have because the free market economy can't be our, our highest good that we serve. But, and again, I'm not, 
I need to get off my, uh, my soapbox on that. I, I just think there's an interesting conversation that we are often not willing to even have, and that's interesting to me. Now, I don't know that any of us are, are billionaires, and I don't know that any of us have uh, corporations where hundreds of people work for us, at least not right now, but how does this play out in our life? What, whatever power, whatever privilege, whatever, whatever uh, wealth or money that I have, how do I use what I have to benefit the kingdom, to, to follow Jesus, to help other people? That's the conversation that applies to us, even if we don't have uh, millions or billions of dollars uh, in, in our bank account. So in the Gospel of Mark, Mark strings together a number of teachings. We're going to be in chapter 10 today strings together a number of teachings about this very thing, how to follow Jesus in a way where it benefits those around you. Uh, Jesus begins with uh, welcoming children. Uh, the disciples wanted to shoo kids away, and Jesus says, actually, to enter into the kingdom of God, you have to become like a child. Um, he then speaks to the rich young ruler who wanted to follow him, and Jesus touched the idol of his heart and said, go and, and, and be generous, give all your possessions away. And the rich young ruler rather would have his money, wealth, and power than follow Jesus in the way that Jesus touched upon. And he bemoans the, the, how difficult it is for those with riches to enter the kingdom of God. And then he continues, verse 32 of chapter 10. They were on their way up to Jerusalem. This is Jesus and, and all of his disciples with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. So just his teaching on power, money, wealth, and accumulation astonished and made people afraid of following him. Again, he took the twelve aside, and he told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So in this instance, this is the third time that Jesus has predicted his death. His, his disciples, his followers have been around him for three years and, and they are still really not getting this teaching that what they expected from the Messiah, their anointed ruler to come in and overthrow the Roman government and bring in this golden age of, uh, uh, of Israel's peace and glory to all the nations. Uh, they don't get that Jesus is coming in as a king, but he's coming as a king who sacrifices his life. He lays his life down on behalf of other people. They are still not really grasping this. And so John and James, the, the so-called sons of thunder, come up to him and they, they ask him a question. Verse 35, uh, the sons of Zebedee come to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Uh, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. So when you come into your full glory, we want to have the places of prominence at your left hand and, and your right hand. We want to be the guys where whoever gets to you has to come through us first. We want to be the people on the inside of the inside who knows everything that's going on. We, we want to be on the inner, inner circle. We want all of your power to be our power extended and expanded out. And in the Gospel of Matthew, there's different accounts of how they actually went to Jesus to ask it. In the Gospel of Matthew, it says that they sent their mom. Like they, they were like, hey, we really, we really want this. And they, they've probably asked him a couple times throughout the years. And they go, we know, 
We know when his mom asked him to do something, he relented, he did, he turned water into wine. That's pretty cool. We're gonna get our mom to go ask Jesus. He has a, a soft spot for moms apparently. Our mom's gonna go ask him and he'll, he'll be certain to do what we're asking uh, him to do. So they badgered him, they pressured him, they've sent their mother to put on uh, uh, and, and use every tool of the fallen order to manipulate and coerce Jesus. And Jesus is teaching them those are old creation realities. And I'm trying to bring you into new creation realities that are very much different than coercion for self-service. Okay? So in Mark 10, verse 41, he says this. When the 10 heard about this, when they heard that John and James had asked Jesus about this thing, um, they were indignant with James and John. You know where they, where they were indignant? Because they didn't think of it first, honestly. They, they, they were not indignant, Jesus, that's just not the, right, the kingdom way. No, they're like, ah, oh, we didn't get to him first. We didn't send our mom. Gosh, we gotta do that next time. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What this is meant to do is to provoke in us the question, am I truly following in the way of Jesus? Or am I like the disciples being seduced by the powers of this world? If the disciples can follow Jesus for over three years and still really not get this, like night and day they're with Jesus, learning the lessons of the kingdom, being corrected and realigned by Jesus himself, how much more so do we need to be introspective and submissive to the movement of the spirit that points out how the world has its hooks in our hearts? How do we use the tools of the old fallen order instead of the way of the kingdom, practicing the way of Jesus? Timothy Gombus in his commentary on Mark, and this is, if you're looking for a resource to go deeper into the book of Mark, this is a fantastic commentary, really accessible, but really, really brilliant. He says this, earthly rule is characterized by status seeking and is often reinforced through image, maintenance, intimidation, deception, and violence. Like, that's just a given in our world, what he just said. Image, maintenance, intimidation, deception, and violence. That is the way of the fallen order of things. Worldly figures misuse and abuse their rule to exalt themselves and to keep their people in subjection. While the disciples are craving the glory that comes with such positions, Jesus warns them they are not to behave this way. The mode of prominence and exaltation in the kingdom of God is radically different from the way of this world. Greatness for followers of Jesus is for those who become servants for those who are slaves. A servant looks to the needs of others and a slave gives up all rights and personal claims. The expressions about servants and slaves are set in synonymous parallelism and are meant to provoke the imagination about the sorts of attitudes towards others that characterize true greatness in the kingdom. Jesus will receive the kingdom and rule over it, yet he leads the way to the kingdom through suffering and death. Therefore, this is the way that all must go through who will participate in his coming reign. If the Lord of the realm is a servant of others, giving himself up for their life, then those who desire prominence must follow him in servanthood and slavery on behalf of others. So it's at this time. 
that my own failings expose me, and I'm sure that if your heart is open to the Spirit, you're thinking of all the ways too, wrestling with the ways that you don't measure up to be a servant, to be a slave of all like Jesus. I mean, just thinking about the points of growth in my life, particularly as a, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, the ways of the fallen order that I use to get my way, intimidation, like scrunching my, I had, I had to practice in the mirror once upon a time because I realized I, I was getting some feedback like I'm not very fun to have in a meeting and, and have someone disagree with me. And I, had a, I was looking in the mirror and I realized like my face makes an X when I scrunch my eyebrows. I have squinty eyes in the first place. When I scrunch them, like my brow furrows in a way and that is like, I just like, that's bad to, 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 to squint at people like that. Or I tend to shut people out. Like the wall goes up, I disconnect my heart and I withhold affection, I withhold love. I mean, my wife could tell you all of these things are true, that I have grown and I have a lot of ways to grow too, right? The people that know us best oftentimes see the worst side of this coercive power maneuvering and intimidation. These things that, that I do, that, that when my boys aren't doing what I want them to do, how I get loud and expressive and I gesticulate in a way that's meant to, you know, like kind of that animalistic side of us that's just kind of like furious, right? Like I do that. And, and all too often I catch myself doing it as it's already happened. And often I have to go back and apologize and repent and make amends and ask to be held accountable. And we do that because that's the way of Jesus. We don't wait for people to come and, and point that out. Although when we're you know, thick-headed and thin-skinned, uh, we often have to have people call us out like that. We have to welcome that. We have to submit to others' feedback. But once we have that, once we know these are the ways that I get my way, we have to go first and we have to submit and we have to surrender and we have to apologize first. The way of Jesus that embraces weakness requires settledness in our identity, that we are beloved and accepted just the way we are in all our messed upness. Because the world is gonna use all the weapons that it has to tell us that it's foolish to live this way. You have to project bravado. If you're a man, you have to man up. And you have to project yourself and present yourself. And if you're, if you're a woman, you, you have to be the boss and you have to lean in and you have to do all the things because you're a woman. And if you're a minority, you especially have to do that and show up to all these ways that are meant to coerce and intimidate and get power and, and accumulate all those things. It's gonna take vulnerability as we walk them out in community. We wanna be open with our doubts and our insecurities and not cover those up by projecting strength, but actually being a place where we can say, I'm not sure. What will God have us do? I'm not sure. Maybe that's good feedback for me today. I'm not sure. I doubt. I doubt. I have doubts. I have insecurities. Is that okay to express here? Or do I always just have to be in power? And it's going to require boldness to speak truth to the powers that use coercion and manipulation and intimidation those structures, those systems, those places of privilege that are stepping on people to get their way. We have to have boldness as the church to speak out on behalf of those that don't have a voice. So this brings up to us, how do, how do we resist coercion and embrace servanthood in the midst of our church 
right here and right now. This is all kind of abstract and ethereal until we, we get really practical about how we practice servanthood in the midst of being a church family, okay? So let's play a game. Ruin a church in three words, okay? Ready? Have you ever showed up somewhere? No, seriously. Have you ever showed up somewhere and you're like really, you're vibing with it. You're enjoying it. People are great. You're like the guest of honor. Everybody's, you know, it's like, hey, you're new. That's great. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Uh, it could be, you know, you're the new family at school and you're like, you're not on the PTA, but you got to just drop your kids off and you go to the book fairs and you, you like avail yourself of all the benefits that school has to offer. Or maybe it's your in-laws where you show up and it's like, you're the favorite son-in-law or you're, you know, you're the, the daughter-in-law that brings all the, the, the great pies and, and, and is just known as a great cook or, or something like that. Um, maybe it's even at church. Maybe it's this church. You show up and like people love you. Like they really are excited that you're here and it's all good until they ruin the experience for you with three words. Can you help? And then you're like, oh man, I had a good thing going on here. I had a good thing going on here. I was, I was the favorite. Like everybody loved me and you want me to help. No, you guys got this. I would just screw it up. You know, we think all the things. I wouldn't even know where to start. You know, like, oh, I just, you know, I'm busy. Like my life is crazy right now. Ruin a church in three words. That's it, isn't it? That's it. Now, Hear me out, because I'm not, I'm not gonna preach on this because we have open spots on our ministry teams. Though that's true, and there will be a pitch at the end for that, that this is not why I'm preaching on this. I'm preaching on it because this is critical to our formation in the way of Jesus. If Jesus came as a servant of all, and we have excuses why we're disqualified or not needed or we don't want to, we actually stunt our own growth to become more like Jesus. And like the church misses out because you have something important, you have something needed. You're here for a reason, okay? So I remember, I remember uh, showing up to Sarah's in, uh, uh, grandparents the first Thanksgiving when we're dating. I'll, I'll, sh- I'll just show you how this plays out, okay? First Thanksgiving, I'm the new boyfriend. And I don't know if she just didn't bring a lot of dudes around, but they were like super excited. And it's a big Catholic family. There's like 10 kids, some of them with 10 kids of their own. Like it's nuts. And it's like all, every, all night, Sarah's whispering in my ear, that's so-and-so who's, who's you know, so-and-so's kid. And they're awesome. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm just gonna eat all the food. And all the food I did eat. They like, sh- they, they shuttled me to the front of the line they like piled me with all the mashed potatoes, then smoked salmon and all the, the good, I mean, it, it's good stuff. Like, it was good. And I got so full, like I ate two Thanksgivings worth of food in one sitting. And I, it was like, there was the point, it, it hurt, guys, it hurt. I still remember, I still remember. When I'm tempted to, to overdo it, I go, I'd never wanna do that again. Because I was sitting there playing like Mario Kart in the basement and I was just sitting there like, I can't do anything. I can barely roll over to get off the couch, okay? So fast forward, we got married the following spring. Fast forward to the next Thanksgiving. I'll walk in with Sarah. We're newlyweds. People are excited to see us. And, I, and, and like five or 10 minutes into it, somebody goes, hey, Josh, can you grab the trash? I'm like, oh, wait, what just happened? Like they're excited to see me. I'm the new husband. I think we were the newest married at the time. Not quite, you know, getting the, hey, so when are you having kids? Like, it's the golden, you know, like honeymoon uh, season right there, right? Hey, can you get the trash? 
I'm like, um, I'm sure. I don't know where the trash is because I didn't have to do this last year. And, and I, was, I was, got my plate, and then all the kids went in front of me. Like, there's like hundreds of kids at this gathering, like hundreds. I'm like, do you, you don't even look like anybody here. Do you belong? Like, come on. I was at the front of the line last year. Like, what changed, right? What changed within that year? It's that I became part of the family. I was no longer the guest of honor. I was part of the family. And that's the transition we all go through. No matter where it is, in your own family, right? Whether it's at a school, or whether it's at your job or anything, you, you, you start by being a welcomed guest, a celebrated guest of honor, and then pretty soon you're a part of the family, expected to have a role, expected to have a job, expected to pitch in and help. It's no different in the family of God, right? And so we all have to expect that. So I'm gonna share, I'm gonna share three things that are not new, okay? This is not new information, but I do wanna highlight why do we serve. And I just wanna start in Ephesians chapter four. I wanna talk about uh, uh, the, the idea of serving and what it does in the midst of the church community. So Paul, the apostle, writes this in Ephesians 4.11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for the works of service. So if you just uh, remember that, to equip people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. For from the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So point number one. The primary duty of church leaders is to empower people for the work of ministry. So my job, my job is to equip and empower others for ministry. That's what service means. That's what ministry means. It's to serve other people. So Paul says that when Jesus ascended in heaven, he gave gifts to the church. Leaders exist not to do the bulk of the work, but to invite in and equip and release gifts into the body as, uh, 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 so they can mature and grow up, okay? So, second, uh, serving is a part of the maturation process in the body of Christ, okay? If you were to ask me to condense down into one short phrase or word how I discern and distinguish mature from immature people in the church, it's one word, service, that's really true. It's not the amount of Greek or Hebrew they have memorized. It's not how many scriptures they have memorized. It's not how often they show up or if they host a, a Bible study in their home. All of those are good things that I would suggest people do as they grow in Christ. But what you can look at in someone's life and discern whether or not, no matter what they say about themselves, what is true about them is look at how they serve other people. Do they serve freely and openly with joy? Or are they kind of like resentful or the, do they hem and haw when you invite them, when you ask them, hey, could you come do this? Do they have a list of excuses why they don't have to do that or why they're too busy to do that? Service really does set people apart for who is on, in the maturation process and who may, may just be stuck. Now, I realize there are seasons in life that do get busy, 
that do feel overwhelming and it's okay to step back. That's okay, I know that. Rest is a thing we value here at Tall Grass at the Well. You should have seasons of rest. But as you look at your life, is it a big season of rest that has disqualified, or you disqualified yourself from serving other people, namely in the church? Then you might have a problem. You might actually be stuck, and Jesus is actually inviting you into another layer of depth of serving other people and finding how much joy he will release in that place. Okay, are we okay? We're still friends? Okay, you know, it's coming, right? You know, here's the next step. Okay, that's all right. Uh, Third, everyone has something to offer. It's not all the same, and that is the beauty of it. Jesus uh, and and Paul often use this this metaphor for the, uh, 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 the church being the body of Christ, where everybody is a different part, it's a different member, and no one is better or worse than each other. No one can look at one uh, another person and say, we don't need you, you're disqualified, you're not as important. Every part is important in the body, working together for overall health and growth, okay? So if you're thinking, yeah, but... I don't know where to serve. I don't know how to serve. What I would say is start where you are. Start with what you have. When Moses told God that very thing, I can't go as a deliverer. I don't speak well. I don't have anything to offer. God looked at him. Well, I not really looked at him because he would be a crispy critter, but he said to him, what's in your hand? And Moses looked down and said, I have a staff. And God used that staff to, to, to confound magicians and to make pharaohs bow down, right? As he turned it into a snake, as he, as he did miracles through that, that simple shepherd's staff. So my question to you would be, what's in your hand? What has God already put into your life that he wants to use for the benefit of other people? And in the midst of that, he's going to release great joy as you surrender to him and as you serve other people, Okay. So several years ago, I asked some people in the church why they served. I wanted to know, like, seriously, why? Like, these are the people that showed up early, stayed late. They were volunteer leaders. They hosted groups, uh, led ministries. And, and I asked them, why do you do what you do? I really am interested. And this, this uh, first guy, his name is Joe. He said this, I serve for the simple reason I love Jesus and I love church, my church. I want to support my church the best I can, and whether that be putting in flooring or cleaning or making coffee. Uh, they are all acts of kindness in which makes a friendly and warm place for people to have community and worship. It's not about look at me and all the good things I'm doing. I'm sure to get into heaven now. It's more about selfless acts that make a better place for people. I love that. Uh, I think it's a uh, part of being all in for Jesus and supporting the place you worship him. There are plenty of times where you don't want to get up early or stay late and you have to take a step back and ask yourself, is it about me or something much greater than me? And I asked a, a married couple, the wife said this, we serve because we're called to serve biblically. It gives us an opportunity to use spiritual gifts that we've been given, and it brings us closer to the community in our church. And her husband said this, ditto to what she said, which is always a great thing to say when you're asked <laughs> a question right after your wife, okay? Ditto to what she said, it's also my top love language, so in general, it makes my heart smile. For me, it goes back to being brought into something as well and, and honestly, the old former work ethic. If there's work to be done, you do it. <clears throat> Finally, uh, last guy says, why do I serve? Because I love Jesus. Yeah, it sounds like a cliche, but for me it's not. Serving is an outward expression of my obedience to my Lord, my King of Kings, my Savior. 
Anyone can read and memorize and repeat scripture, but it takes both voice and action to show that you have surrendered to Christ. There was an incident where the disciples were debating over who was the greatest among them. Jesus told them to make themselves the least. So you want to be first? No, make yourself second. I serve because my Savior came into this world, and he also served. He healed the sick, he cast out demons, he raised the dead, and he was a teacher. He served even though he didn't have to. He served because he loved us. I love Jesus with all my heart, and I want to represent him well in the eyes of the world, so I serve him. So when I, what, I hear, what, what I love about that is that what I hear in each one of those, there's, there's a different reason or kind of different dimension for that reason, but the overarching thing that I hear is life is not about what you get, it's about what you give. And I want to tell you, true fulfillment in life does not come through self-gratification. It will lead you to emptiness and destruction really, really well. It will make you more bitter the more inward that you turn and try and get yours. But when we turn outward, when we put other people before our comfort and ourselves, it's not about building a business that grows and, and blows up in a good way, good way we would traditionally think. It's not about having a certain amount of money in the bank. It's not about taking certain trips or having certain experiences. Life isn't about having uh, the amount of trophies that we're dreaming of, medals, plaques, names on whatever wall that you're looking at. And it's not even about having your children get all those things that you didn't have. Really, life is about what you can give. And that's what Jesus modeled and taught. It's this life-transforming truth that made a man like Paul, who is seething with anger and violence and threats of death to the young Jesus movement, and it turned him into the very messenger, messenger of that message. And he says this in Philippians 2, Verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others before yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who bear, and, and what he goes into is, this is one of the early hymns of the church. It's this poetic line of, of theology telling us who Jesus is and what he did. Who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the, the name that is above every name. That, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, because he's been given all authority and all glory and all of existence, uses that by stooping low to clean off the muck and filthiness of this world to reveal the true beauty of servanthood as the way to greatness in the kingdom of God. So now, when we talk about serving, often there are just a couple objections that I know we're just all sitting in, okay? First, it's the issue of how tired we are. That's a real thing. We have, we have, collect, like we have a, a collective anxiety from what's happened over the two year, uh, past two years, the pandemic and all the other resultant things. There's a real sense of languish in people's lives. I've been there, and I've fought it back a couple times. There's this overwhelming like sense of there's not enough time or money I don't have enough waking hours like that is a real thing 
that we just have to acknowledge and address and say that there's grace for that. There's grace for us. There's grace to give each other as we're working our way through that. Okay? And, and I actually don't have an easy answer to that. I have, I have, you know, hopefully the patience of Christ to walk people through like, yeah, we're tired. We're tired people. Um, I, I don't think the way is to just go all uber introvert. Like I'm an introvert. The, the solution is not for me to wall myself up in my house and never talk to people and never help someone else out. That only leads to more of that language. It's actually interesting. Uh, Brene Brown in her book, Dare to Lead, talked about this idea of burnout and how burnout, uh, oftentimes we, we think of it as feeling overworked, but it, the Air Force Academy did some research and they, they noticed that the, the burnout that the cadets were experiencing was actually a loss of relationship. We actually get disconnected from each other we, we, and, and we go inward or kind of put our walls up or do whatever. That actually further leads to burnout. So the way out of burnout is actually connection. And I would argue, you know, in this context and in this case, where we serve each other. It might be dropping a meal off. It might be texting a few people to, see, to check in on them, see how they're doing. It might be sitting you know, across from someone with coffee and just like letting your guard down and letting it out. But what we can't do is uh, get insulated and expect that our languish or burnout or anxiety is gonna go away. It's actually through deep connection, okay? Uh, second, and we've seen and perhaps been a part of organizations, and unfortunately, churches and ministries do this um, a lot, they run volunteers ragged and then shame them for dropping out. There's a real trauma that results from that religious coercion. Like just show up, like you're not doing anything worthwhile unless you're in the church building, doing the church things, serving the pastor's vision, and then like there's no, you, you sign up for a ministry till Jesus comes back basically. Yeah, have you ever done a ministry like that? Like I'll volunteer to be a greeter, Cool, like, could I take a break? Oh no, we don't take breaks here. Like, we do, we do this for the Lord, right? And we actually, like, leaders don't pay attention to how we're doing. And what I just wanna commit to you is we're not that kind of church. Like, we really do value seasons of rest, seasons where I will do this for, for a while and I need to step back to take care of some other things. I will, I'll join a group maybe for six months or so, but then I'm, I need a break. I need, like, six weeks. Like, even as a, as a group leader, um, this was part of our conversation about starting groups back in, this, in, the, in the fall where it's like, hey, I love my church and I love hosting in my, in my living room, but I actually need about six weeks like, uh, uh, where people are not in my house. I just kind of need like some time. I need a break. Okay, that's serious, but it's kind of funny too. Like you, you can laugh at me because, yeah, anyway, that's, that's a pity laugh. I've heard that before many times. So what's the answer here? There is a need for rest. There is a need for having a break. But there is, there is a, a need to actually re-engage in some of these places to serve so that you don't become isolated and you don't let your heart grow inward about what you're not getting or about your loss of expectation or whatever that is. So what I would say uh, for those who are skeptical, skeptical, uh, skeptical about serving, particularly in the church, give us like three months. Like, like dip your toe in the water somewhere commit to serving, and then it's okay to, to offboard for a while. It's okay to say, I'm going to take a step back. Give us three months and see what God does in the midst of those three months. Are you more joyful? Are you more deeply connected to people in the church? Is there a sense of like, we're doing something that's bigger than us, right? And, and I should acknowledge, like, there are quite a few of us that are already serving somewhere, 
right? You're doing a great job. Keep going, take a break if you need to, okay? But thank you so much for doing all that, okay? So for us, um, what you can do is, like Pastor Ben said, we have a, a volunteer celebration next week. We would invite you all to come to that if you're serving on a team, if you're leading a group, or today if you would like to sign up, we're gonna celebrate you. We're gonna celebrate that step of wanting to serve other people. Like we are not stingy with celebrating people who, who serve each other, okay? We really do wanna be a church that has a culture of celebration and gratefulness towards those that are serving in the kingdom of God, okay? So, speaking of leaders and, and the benefit uh, of the doubt that you're extending to us as leaders, I do want to say this. I want to quote from the book, The Servant, from James Hunter. He says this, The final test of leadership, though this, this applies to everyone and not someone with a title or a role, you're exercising leadership in your home, okay? So, keep that in mind. The final test of leadership is, do you leave things better than you found them? Will your employees get promoted, have a better career, even have a better life because they spent a few seasons with you? Have they learned and grown as a result of your influence? Will your children be ready when they leave home? Will they become effective parents, neighbors, coaches, spouses, and teachers? Have you done your job, Dad? How about you, Mom? Leadership is influence. The mark we leave on other people and the mark we leave on the organization we involve ourselves with. We all leave a mark. The real question is, will people be glad you were there? What if we were a church where people could look at their lives and say, yes, I'm a better person because I've been connected at Tallgrass at the Well. I'm a better person because when I need help, there are people ready to jump in. When I need a meal, there's a meal train. When I need, um, when I'm feeling down and depressed, there, there's someone noticing that. When I'm gone, someone notices that. How about us as leaders? Are we posturing our hearts so that people who serve on our teams and in our church say, you know what, I, I was hard some of those days. Some of those days I didn't want to be there early, but I'm so glad I did. I, I, I know that I look more like Jesus because I've been at that church. What if we had that kind of church? And so here are just a couple ways where I want to invite you into the practice of serving and how you might start where you are. Start where you can, okay? So here's our, here's our practice. The beginning, and, and we've been in the habit of doing a, a beginning, a baseline, and a stretch practice. So you can identify where you're at. If you're just starting out, if maybe you're brand new to church, and like you didn't grow up in church, and serving was just not on your radar. Here's something that I want to explain this a little bit, but I would love all of us to do. And that's every week introduce yourself to someone you don't know. One of the easiest but most impactful ways is that we can be a church that notices people when they come through the door. And we have courage to say, I don't think I've met you yet. Or, you know, I met you and I can't quite pull your name out of my brain. I want to introduce myself again. Like everybody, is, everybody says they're the friendliest church in town. But very few actually are friendly at all. Because we typically get here and talk to our friends or we stay to ourselves, and we stay around the same people. What if we served our city well by being the type of church that when someone crossed through our threshold, not in an obnoxious way, not in a pyramid scheme way, but we went up to people and said, I would like to get to know you a little bit more. Start there. That could serve everyone well. Okay, baseline. This is where we would love to get everyone 
connected, and practicing serving. Join a ministry team where you serve in the church twice a month. That's not a huge commitment, but I think it's something that if everyone did this even a little, we would be a more connected church, we would be a more service-oriented church, and uh, we would just all be better off for it, quite frankly. Because, again, the job of leaders is to equip people for ministry, not to do all the ministry themselves. Okay? And typically in a church, just as in every organization, the 80-20 rule kicks in where 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. What if we flip that? I don't actually know if you can flip that, but you know what I mean. What if we didn't do that? <laughs> okay, and then finally, our stretch. Because serving is not, I, this, isn't a, this isn't a pitch to get you to do more stuff in our church. It's actually a life of serving others. So a stretch goal. For, for those of us that are participating in hospitality and welcome, that are, that are signed up to serve somewhere in the church, what if you found an organization, specifically a nonprofit, to serve, to donate time and maybe even money on a regular basis throughout the year? There, there were quite a few of us at the Habitat dinner last night. That was fun. Uh, I did not dance, but I saw some people enjoying that. That was really, really cool. Ben did a great job of, of putting that on. Uh, what if we found a nonprofit, a 501c3, to go help build a house or to give money to or donate time? What if our school, when it needed, you know, like our schools really need help right now, right? It doesn't even have to be a nonprofit. It could be a community-centered organization. When, what if our, when our schools needed uh, a crossing guard or, you know, a lunch uh, person, a, a, a food distribution specialist over the lunch hour? What if our church was known as the people that said, yeah, I can give some time to that. I can, I can do that. I can step in and, and be helpful in that sense. What would it do as a witness to the gospel in our city if we practiced these things regularly? Okay, so I'm going to have the worship team come on up. And uh, we're going we're gonna to switch back over into a time of worship. So why don't you stand with me? Are we feeling okay about this? Yeah. Okay. We doing okay? Okay. Good, good, good. I know. It's a, when you, when you, you juxtapose like, the, 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 the anxiety that we all feel along with what well, we still are wanting to reach people with the gospel and love them practically, I know there can be a tension and even a collision. So what we're gonna do is we're just gonna invite the Holy Spirit into that. I don't have an easy solution for any of us that are feeling overwhelmed, but what we do have is the Spirit of God that is just looking for a heart that says yes. God, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I wanna help other people. So I'm saying yes to that, okay? So why don't you pray with me? Jesus, we invite you into this tension of being outward focused, but also needing to tend to the garden of our own souls. God, there's a real tension in the midst of that. How do we help others when I feel so ill-equipped, when it's bad time, when I'm so drained at the end of my day, at the end of my week? So God, we invite you in to that place. It may take a reordering of things. It, it may take a reprioritizing of things. But God, however that is, we want to step into that. We want to step into the place of serving others well, serving others with joy, just like you did, Jesus. So I pray for our church, for those watching online, God, that you would meet us throughout our week and just nudge us, give us these nudges of how we can look out for other people. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
This teaching was recorded by Tallgrass at the Well. We're building community together by inviting people into the way of Jesus. For more resources like this, visit tallgrassatthewell.church.